one one moment of the Holy Spirit's presence can undo years of mental anxiety and depression. It can do just just feeling his closeness for a split second will align every problem into correct priority structure in your heart. And things that you were afraid of, you'll begin to laugh at. I just love when he comes like that. Um, you know, it was one of those worship services where I was getting a lot of things from the Lord. And, um, you know, Tracy and I were up here trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with, with this service. You know, when you got a bull by the horns. What? <laughs> and really, the Holy Spirit is actually described as something like that in, in Proverbs Uh, It it says that when there's no ox in the stall, the stable is clean. But with the ox comes great increase. And the ox represents the power, the power to plow, the power to harvest. It's the Holy Ghost. And so prophetically and symbolically speaking, that means that if you have the Holy Spirit in your church, there's going to be great mess. But there's going to be great increase and great progress. We want that, don't we? That means that we want Him. See, we're, we're not in this for an outcome. We're in this for a relationship. Um, you know, for the last few months, we've, we've just been talking about um, living from heaven. Tracy's done an awesome job at that. And on Thursday nights, we've been talking about preparing for outpouring. And really, you know, uh, that's 50% of like learning from past mistakes and 50% guesswork from what we can see in the Bible. Because we haven't experienced the things that happened in Acts chapter 3 and 4, and so we're just, we're doing the, you know, the best we can to, to emulate the kind of life that Christ called us to and, and, to, and to teach on these things. And, and when the Holy Spirit comes and there's some level of outpouring in the church, you know, the pastors, we pretend like we know what's going on, but we have no idea. It's the Holy Ghost. He does something different every time. He's so creative that he won't be limited to a box of coming the same way he came five years ago. He's far too original, far too creative, far too spontaneous for that. But what we can do is position our hearts as best we can to be a target for the Holy Ghost and his angels to hit. And so we want to continue to paint a target on ourselves this morning. And, um, you know, during worship, I was just saying, Lord, don't let me screw this up. It's, it's just so good right now with the <laughs> all the, the ghost bumps and the Holy Spirit feelings. I don't want to get up here and just ruin that, Lord. <laughs> and, and he said, well, that's the heart that I needed. The heart that desires, the furthest thing from my desires to quench the Holy Spirit. And, I, and what I wanted to talk about today is actually something that I feel has 
inhibited outpouring. And so it's, it's not necessarily a super happy message. Um, I might throw in a few jokes here and there to soften it up, but um, I want us just to position our hearts before the Lord to say, what, whatever is in me that you, you want to shine your light on and correct, I give you permission. Can we do that? This is something I've been wrestling through for, for months, and, um, and it's something that I've witnessed in the church. I've been in the church for 33 years. I was pretty much born into uh, the vineyard movement. I, I grew up in a vineyard church the first 20 years of my life. I was in a church you know, where people would experience the Holy Spirit in ways where they couldn't contain. They'd fall over, and people are jumping around with tambourines. It was crazy. That, that was... <laughs> It was a fun way to grow up. Um, and uh, this is something I've been trying to articulate for a while, and a friend of mine named Dave Hess helped me articulate some of this. So I wanted to give him some of the credit for all of you out there who are watching on Periscope and online. Um, first of all, Jesus showed us what it looks like to be fully man and still fully moved by the Holy Spirit. And he didn't just leave us an example that we should follow. He left us with the empowerment to do so. He left us with the Holy Spirit. He said things like this, which were, would be crazy to, uh, to be in the room when Jesus would say this. He would say, it's better that I leave. Because if I do, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. He's the helper. He's going to lead you into all truth and remind you of everything I've said to you. If I were in the room, I'd be like, you're crazy because you're the coolest, best leader. You're amazing. You know how to love like no other man. I couldn't imagine it being better than being sitting right here with you, Jesus. The, the God incarnate, Christ in a room. And yet he says, it's better that I go. But I've spent most of my life being jealous of Peter, James, and John. It must mean that I'm missing something about what it means to have the Holy Ghost living inside of me. And throughout the years, uh, Jesus has gained many children and disciples who formed many tribes and movements and camps. They're different representations of his nature. Um, I have four kids who are all different representations of my nature. Uh, one of them is not old enough to speak yet, thank God. Three of them can speak very well. And, um, you know, it, I just love it so much when my kids encourage one another. Judah's getting to be like this. He's the oldest. And I've seen Ev do this too, where they, you know, uh, Evelyn's learning to potty train or something. And Judah's like, you got this, Ev. <clears throat> But on the other hand, I've, I've definitely heard them uh, cut each other down. And, um, you know, what, what do you think it does to my heart when I see my kids exalt themselves above the others? Or if I see one of my kids, uh, when they're, they're citing the gifts that they were born with as things that make them superior to the others. 
that grieves me probably more than anything that could happen to my family because I know how deep those words can cut and how someone's identity can be affected at so young of an age by the words of a sibling. And I would say that out of all the different moves and traditions within Christianity, I would say that the charismatic camp is worst at this. This is when it gets heavy. And we, we say things like this. I'm guilty of this. We say things like, you know, I used to be a certain type of Christian, but now I'm a supercharged one. I was a normal Christian, but now I'm an empowered one. I was decaffeinated, but now I'm caffeinated. <laughs> and we use words like full gospel or spirit-filled Christian. And oh, this just reeks of elitism. Don't get me wrong, there are always more encounters and more things to be gained from the Holy Spirit. There's always more Holy Ghost. Um, but I'm not okay with believing that there's this one supercharging experience and every subsequent encounter with the Holy Ghost after that is going to fall short of the first one. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. My gospel says from glory to glory, to glory, to glory, to glory, being ever changed into his image. And even the, the apostle John, who had such close encounters with, with Jesus and, and whose writings have changed the lives of Christians for thousands of years, it wasn't until the end of his life that he probably got the most powerful encounter on the island of Patmos, he got the, the revelation of the Christ. And so I don't want, I don't want to believe that there's, this, that there's this moment that every Christian has to have. It's going to look the same as or real similar to an experience that someone else had, and now they've graduated from being an, an inferior Christian to a superior Christian. Randy Clark came and, and gave one of my favorite messages I've heard in years. The gist of the message is there's, there's not a formula. There's just always more Holy Ghost. I don't care if you were speaking in tongues before you gave your life to Jesus. I was. You know, the, the most baby Christians you know, went out on the streets and healed the sick and injured, cast out demons, and they hadn't even been taught how to pray yet. It was after that they came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Every true believer has access to every resource of heaven and have been baptized into the same spirit as it says in 1 Corinthians Here's the thing, just because someone comes into an experience where they gain a fuller understanding of God and their identity, and obviously we're going to get excited. That is a great thing. It is natural to get super stoked and excited when you have encountered the Lord and, you know, you realize your identity and suddenly, like, after that encounter, you're able to do way cooler stuff. Uh, it, 
but the, the truth of the matter is that you had access to that same stuff the moment you believed. You just had a moment where you realized it. See, there's a grace for this excitement when a believer wakes up to their real identity. It's normal to be, uh, it's actually normal and good to be thrilled by this realization. But you don't want to stay a cocky teenager forever, do you? If we stay in the place of rejoicing in our gifts for years and years, it becomes a very big problem. Thomas Kempis said this, it does one no harm to think of yourself inferior to every other person, but it does you great harm to think of yourself superior to even one. It does you no harm to think of yourself as inferior to every person, but it does you great harm to think of yourself as superior to even one. God came as a baby. Beware of believers who make it their aim to be seen and famous. Where did we get that idea? I have no doubt that many of you are going to be seen and famous. But that's because God is going to use the gifts that he placed on you and in you to bring you before kings of the earth. And in that position, you're going to give all glory to God. Andrew Murray said it like this. I love this one. If I am something, God can't be everything. But when I become nothing, God can be all. See, we have to become poor in spirit. We have to lower the position of our hearts. This isn't self-abasement or some you know, religion where we cut ourselves and demean ourselves. You guys know me. Most of you guys know me pretty well. I hate false humility. In the church, we've, we've launched such a, uh, a self-hatred movement, and we call it humility. And, and confidence, we call pride. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's not what I'm preaching today. But we have to empty ourselves. We have to take up our cross daily. Our gospel is a, is, a, is a dying of ourselves so God can actually live through us. That's the greatest life ever. That is the most thrilling life to live, to be nothing so that God can be everything, to get out of the way so that God can move. There's a difference between sons and servants though. Slaves don't know their master's business, we are sons. We are sons and daughters. And Jesus, I believe, obviously, demonstrated the best what it looks like to be a son of God. See, we, we get excited about these moments when we realize the authority and the, and the power that we walk in, and, and, it, and it's awesome. Well, Jesus had moments like that too. In John 13, it says that Jesus, knowing the Father, had placed all things into his hands. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. 
He knew that he was a son who had been entrusted with all authority, which is why he could strip down to his undergarments before men whom he created and wash their feet. See, a true mark or a mark of true authority and power is that when you have been placed into a position of authority, you desire to get underneath people's feet to lift them up. A true son doesn't need to prove he's a true son. This is a sign of nobility. See, royalty, historically, if there's a famine in the land, royalty's still feasting, but nobility will fast when famine comes on their people. They'll fast alongside. They'll get in the prison with you. That's what Jesus does. Jesus showed me that he doesn't free people from outside the prison with a mighty voice he gets inside with them, frees them from the inside. He's always desiring to get under our feet. James and Peter um, said the exact same phrase in James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5. It says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Have we ever thought about what it looks like to have God in opposition to us? It doesn't, that verse doesn't say that God prefers that we're humble and not proud. It doesn't say that, it doesn't say God doesn't like pride. It says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If anybody's been on a football or rugby or soccer team or any kind of sports and you you got to that level where you're watching videos of your next opponent and there's you know that one guy that's the most formidable force on the opposing team and you're trying to figure out how to get past that guy and he's just a he's a beast and you're watching his moves so you can try to figure out how to get past him imagine that person is god And he is standing in opposition to you. Who do you think is going to win? See, we know that the devil is in opposition against us. Do we really want God in opposition to us too? That'd be, <laughs> that'd be a rough way to go. Satan was booted out of heaven because of this. He wanted to be seen. And the main reason people don't come to Jesus is this pride. And we say things like, I'm not going to receive this free gift because I don't need it. And every other religion on earth preaches this. You get accepted by your best effort. But Jesus says, you are accepted. Now live like it. You are accepted. Now you get to live like it. Um, Tracy mentioned Encounter Jesus School, which is the training program that I run here. And one of the things that we endeavor to do in that training program, which is awesome, is to see people realize their identity in Christ and, and begin to live out of that identity in Christ. 
and it's super fun, and it's exciting to watch, and um, we love to see our students get that excitement and that confidence, and they begin to take risks. They begin to lay hands on people with, you know, problems that most people wouldn't believe could be fixed, and our EJS students go up to those problems, and they lay hands on them, and it's amazing. Something that would not be fun to watch is if one of my students became impressed with themselves. I've seen this in my own life. And we think things like, I remember when I was powerless, but now I'm powerful. But we were powerful from the day we believed, we just didn't know it yet. And to, really, to become impressed by ourself is such a betrayal of the word gift. Gift means it was given to us without merit. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. And so if we become impressed with ourselves, it's no longer a gift. We have to realize that everybody has been given the same identity in Christ and the same access, and then there will be no room to be impressed. This is a process. See, we get our realization or encounter, and the first thing we do is we, you know, we start our international ministry of power, and we throw up the sign apostle on our website. And it's like an eight-year-old who gets a, a police officer uniform as a gift for for Christmas or the birthday and that eight-year-old puts on the uniform and the badge and pretends to be an officer you know on his bicycle riding around the neighborhood trying to pull over other bicycle riders it's it's very cute when you're eight but if you're 30 and you're riding around your neighborhood in your police uniform and your badge it's just sad Bill Johnson says it like this, the person who's infatuated with who they are has not yet seen him. So when you see him, it makes you completely confident in who you are, and it also makes you no longer impressed with who you are. That's the power realm. When you are confident in who you are, but you're no longer impressed by who you are. See, I'm not going to go down that bunny trail. This is what the Lord told me a month ago. He said, I'm still calling my disciples the same way that I always have. Come and follow me, and then I walk on while the power of my invitation sinks in. See, Jesus, he doesn't like insecurely beseech us, like, come on, be my follower. I really need you in my kingdom. No, he says, come follow me. It's going to be awesome. Or he says, come follow me. Uh, by the way, you're going to have to lay everything down. You're going to have to give up everything. If, if you actually want to be my disciple, uh, you're probably, not probably, 
you in particular are going to have to leave your home, your family, your security, your reputation, and I'm going to show you the greatest life that you could ever imagine living. If we believe that Jesus called us into the kingdom because he needed us, then we are in a place of the most wretched pride. If we get saved and then one day we're like, oh, Jesus, now I know why you needed me. It's because of this thing that I can do. I'm going to go save that whole nation. You're welcome, God. It's ridiculous. Honestly, this is why evangelical camps of God hate the charismatic influence. I'm not saying that it justifies their fear of the Holy Spirit, but when all they see are flaky people proclaiming to be empowered, it is understandable why they don't want that doctrine anywhere near their pulpits. There is a subtle but very important difference between the message of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. When we find out who Christ is in us, we will find who we are in him. It's very important not to get those flipped. So here, we want a sovereign move of God, right? That's what we were crying out for today in worship. We want to see your kingdom here, revival. We want to see a sovereign move of God, right? How can it be sovereign if we attribute it to something or anything of our own effort? Doesn't sovereign mean that he did it? I'm not saying that we do nothing. This is, this is a heart positional thing, not an operational thing. We have to deal with this thing in our heart where we believe that we have something, you know, that, that, that God needs in order to bring his kingdom. No, we were so beyond blessed and given this grace of being in his kingdom that we get to partner with him as he brings his kingdom through us. And we get to be marked. We get to be signposts of gratitude for the rest of our lives that he so chose a wretched person to do such amazing things. We can't just rewrite our history and pretend like we weren't screw-ups, that we weren't people who were an offense to God, that we weren't standing against him. We cannot forget that. We would be like people who rewrite history books to make our nation look better, like we didn't participate in racism and different atrocities. Do you want to go to a school where revisionists have grabbed hold of your history books? We have to remember what he pulled us out of so that we can walk in gratefulness and actually release his kingdom forever. I'm not saying that you're sinners. I'm saying that you're saints who used to be sinners. 
You're no longer just sinners who are saved by grace. You are saints who display the nature and kingdom of Christ. I'm going to end with uh, this quote from Mike Bickle. He's a, he's a kind of guy who, uh, he still reads all the slander that's written against him. Because he wants to see if there's any truth in it. You know, he can present his heart before God so the Lord can convict him and get cleaned up on that, that area that he's wrong in. And he reads, he and Mike Bickle, or he and Bill Johnson do this. They read these articles, these slanderous things that are like 90% and probably 99% lies and 1% truth. And they're like, oh yeah, they're 1% right. That is an ugly tie. You know, like, <laughs> I'm going to stop wearing that tie when I preach. <laughs> It's such humility and confidence. They're not going to let... Here's what Mike Buckle says. I'm just going to let him say it. To the degree that you are bothered when people attack you is the degree of ambition you have in your heart. It's amazing the things that we get to walk in in Christ... But the things that we get to walk in in Christ are not our identity. Our identity is beloved children. We've got to get rid of any kind of elitism. I have to. I've got to get, Lord, pull it out of us. This is something only you can do. You know, if you guys want outpouring in this church, let's stand up and ask the Lord to pull this out of our hearts right now. I don't think anyone in here wants God opposed to us or God opposed to our church. He is a formidable foe. So Jesus, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come. These angels of deliverance would come. And we just fling wide the gates of our heart we open up everlasting doors that you would peer in to our hearts right now. And you would do something that only you can do, which is deliver us. And we repent for believing ourselves to be superior to other moves of God. We repent for believing ourselves to be superior to other churches in town. We want to live like you did, Jesus, knowing that we are sons and washing feet. We want the position of our heart to be low. And we want the status of our spirit to be poor. We want to become nothing so that you can be everything. Jesus, we want you to be everything in this church and in our lives. You didn't save us into a democracy. You saved us into a kingdom. Now, Lord, I ask that you release that joy 
because it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. We ask for encounters with your kindness right now.